Paul is writing to the Philippians because he has a concern. He has a concern of some of the things that uh, we would have concern today, a disunity, a uh, schism that is starting to form within the church. And this is a church that has supported Paul immensely in his ministry, has given uh, different works through Ephesus and all his missionary journeys. The Philippians have been faithful in supporting and uh, uh, Paul through his prayers and their gifts to support his ministry. And he has a heart for Philippians, uh, for, for the Philippian people um, that is just really heartfelt. Uh, that doesn't sound right, but it is, you know what I mean, right? As we pick up in chapter 4, we see the conclusion of his letter as he was writing. And basically, this is where I believe he just, gets, he just really gets down to the nitty-gritty of what this book is really all about. It says, Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends, I plead with you, I plead with Eudia, and I plead with Sinteki to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fella, help those women who have contended at my side for the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice always in the Lord. Again, I say Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the reading of your word. We ask this morning that you open our hearts and our minds to receive your truth. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, First thing that... I'd like to point out in, in this topic or in this text is that Paul has a confession. His confession is that he loves these people. He loves these people, but he knows there's some things that's amiss. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever loved somebody, somebody that you knew that things were amiss in their life? Maybe your own relationship between them and you were amiss. Or maybe you just knew stuff that was going on in their lives and you knew that it wasn't good and it wasn't right. And you didn't know how to speak to it to correct it, but you knew it was there and your burden was heavy about it because you cared so much. Anybody ever been there? I have a hundred times. Well, Paul is this, is, is, is this way. And in this church, there seems to be a division. Judea and Syntyche there are two women that are causing a lot of division in the church because they're not in unity together. And last week we spoke a little bit about unity. And understand, unity is not everybody thinking just alike, but understanding a common purpose 
and joining in with that. And he says this, he said, I wish that you, Yudia and Syntyche, I wish that you would have the like mind in Christ. In other words, understand the purpose, the unity that we have in Christ, the purpose that we have as a church in Christ together. You need to be reconciled. So we see Paul first addressing his confession for his love for them. So he's speaking, he's about to speak to their heart. And have you, let me tell you that you cannot speak to someone's heart until they first know they're safe with, you're safe with their heart. Are you, are you hearing me? I'm not communicating as well this morning, but it seems to me that, that you need to hear this and understand this because you can't speak into someone's heart when they have walls because they don't trust you. Okay. Paul is trying to tell them, and he knows they know this, but he's trying to tell them, look, I treasure you. I love you. But there's some issues here that needs to be straightened out. There's some problems. And very rarely do you see Paul calling out by name a couple of individuals. And he calls Yudia and Sinteki, he calls them out by name. And he says, I wish you two would get along. I wish that you would put your differences aside and join in unity because you're creating a division within the church. Now, why does he do this? Well, he does it for a couple of reasons, I think. One is, obviously, he has a relationship with these two women that he can speak to them with truth. And he can speak them with candor. In other words, understand verses that follow in 5 and 6, he says this. He said, these women have worked close with me in the ministry of the gospel. So he has a confidence that they know where his heart is. And a lot of times you can't speak to someone else's heart until, the one, number one, they feel safe with you with their heart, or number two, because they know your heart as well. So in other words, sometimes we can't ask people to be vulnerable with us until we're first vulnerable with them. And that takes effort. It takes time. It takes prayer. It takes consideration. And it takes a track record of being able, number one, that you've handled stuff that's sensitive before and you've handled it well. In other words, you didn't come down on them, you didn't condemn them, you didn't write them off, you didn't forsake them, but you were there for them. Paul mentions these two women by name and he urges them to get their act together. Then he goes on, it's interesting, after that, he goes on and he challenges those who are working with him to help him help them help themselves. Amen? In other words, iron sharpens iron, right? We hear that a lot with men's ministry because it sounds tough. Bless God, I'm iron. And I need iron to sharpen me. So we use that terminology a lot because, you know, it's just a manly thing to do. But the fact of the matter is we need each other because we all need honing. We all need tuning. We all need help focusing in on what God has called us to be and do. So he calls on his fellow workers. In other words, we shouldn't stand by and let other people 
cause division. And then the third thing he does out of this is he said, look, I know y'all are going to get together because, you know, I love you. I told you that before, and I've got great hope for this church. And then he gives them some practical things. But before we get to the practical things, let me just say why this is so important. This is so important because division is what kills relationships, organizations, things that really could help us in so many different ways. It's division. It's schisms. It's something that separates us. One of the greatest wartime things is, is that if you want to really conquer your enemy, you need to divide and conquer. One of the great strategies of, of the manifestos uh, uh, that we have and people that are trying to destroy America is that they said we don't need to fight a war with them because everybody and their dog has a gun, so we're not going to defeat them that way. However, how we can defeat them is filtrating inside and dividing them from within. And do we see that? Amen. Hmm. This is the devil's scheme. When the devil came to one of, our, one of us that was created and he convinced them to take of the fruit or disobey God, it wasn't the fruit, by the way, it wasn't the fruit. It wasn't the fruit. It's okay to eat apples. And we don't even know that it's an apple, okay? But we just know it's the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, okay? It wasn't about the fruit. It was about the disobedience, okay? And so the serpent came in cunningly and he deceived and he said, okay, now go take this to the husband. And basically what he did was he divided and he conquered from within. And he introduced sin. And sin is rebellion. Sin is, is, is something that we reject or we're in disobedience. That's what sin comes in as. Why is this so important? I was talking to a gentleman just the other day. And he was asking me, he says, does this person or that person, do they still come to your church? And I said, no, they no longer attend. They didn't attend very long. And he says, boy, that's good. And then I'm going, okay. I didn't want to expand anymore, but he volunteered. And he said, they were in a church that I was pastoring at one time, and everything they touched, they created division. They created a problem with everything. It seems like Everything was about discord, schisms, dissensions, anything that they could do. And I said, wow, I didn't know that. He says, yeah, they just about destroyed that church. I talked to another guy the other day. He was in politics. And he was saying, you know, the problem is that we have today is that Everybody wants to take the one thing that you might have done incorrect or wrong. And they want to focus on that one thing and they forget the 85 to 95 percent of the good that's been accomplished. That is never part of the conversation. It's only the bad. Creates division. Splits us, doesn't it? Creates this restlessness in our heart, our dissatisfaction about where we are and who we trust and what's going on in our lives. I was doing a marriage counseling session one time and this couple had been together for many years and they were sitting there and, and, and they were talking 
And she looked at me and she looked at him and he said, I'm just here to tell you, I'm not going to get a divorce. And she had full grounds. He had been unfaithful in several different ways, not only sexually, but also in other ways as well. And she looked at me and she said, I'm staying. And I'm not staying because the Bible says for me to. And I go, whoa. Bless God, that just knocks me out. <laughs> you want to just tell me why? <laughs> you know? And she said, yeah, I'll tell you why. And I said, okay, I'd like to know. I think he needs to know. I'm staying because the body of his work is he's done more good than he's done bad. And I'm staying with him for the good he did. And these one or two things that have been tremendously heartbreaking, has been, been tremendously uh, schismatic as far as bringing division between us. She said, that is minor compared to the great things that he's done for our family and our marriage, the many years that we've been married. And I go. <laughs> Bless God, that's in the Bible. <laughs> She said, well, if it is, then I'm saying for biblical reasons. <laughs> the fact of the matter is, why this is so important is because if we tune our hearts to negativity, it will always create destruction, no matter what arena that it is in. No matter what. Whether it's in a government, whether it's in an organization, or whether it's in a relationship. If we focus on the negative, it will create negativity. It will create distraction. It will create division. And it will create disaster. Amen? Yes. So, this is why this is so important on what Paul says next. And a lot of people discount this because they call it the conclusion of his letter. Or they say it's just like a salutation of his letter, ending his letter. I think it's probably the most powerful piece of Pauline literature in the whole New Testament. Here's what it says. Verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving. Everybody's saying thanksgiving. With thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Oh, that, that in itself will change your life. It will change your life. But see, we don't practice that. We practice of whatever's negative we're going to dwell in because we want to snuff out evil. We want to get rid of anything that's bad. So we need to call it by name. We need to reveal it and bring it into the sunshine. We need to bring light to it and expose it for all it's worth. And blah, 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 blah. And first thing you know, we're caught in that rut. And it's like Tennessee Ernie Ford said, we get lower than a snake in a wagon ride. And our whole personality turns toward that. 
But he continues on. He doesn't just stop there giving us probably the the greatest synopsis of how we should live our lives. He doesn't stop. He goes on more in descriptive. He said, finally, brothers, whatever, and he does whatever seven times. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think on these things. Everybody say think. Think on these things. Things. <laughs> Let me ask. Is our natural tendency to think on the good? I can preach a sermon. Granted, some are better than others. I can preach a sermon, and it might be one of the best ones I've ever preached. And I'll stand at the back door normally, and I'll hug your neck, have you tell you have a blessed day. And everybody will come by and tell me how great and inspirational that service was, or that sermon was. And one person will come by and say, well, Preacher, I thought it was a good sermon, but I didn't get this one piece. It just didn't make sense to me. Everybody will follow him, and I said, Okay. And, uh, I'll, I, I can explain that. No need. I'll, I'll just, just, I just didn't make sense to me, but I'll, I'll get it. And the people will come on by. And there'll be 120 people at church, obviously not this morning, but something <laughs> like that. Be one comment that, not negative, just didn't get it. And you know what I'll spend the next week thinking about? <laughs> it's human nature. It's human nature to go right opposite of what the godly nature tells us to do. See, Paul is talking about godly nature, not human nature. Our humanity wants to bring into light everything that we think is bad and all that kind of stuff. And believe me, there's some things that need to change. There's some things, accountability that needs to come out. But we seem to live there. We tend to stay there. But Paul says, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think on such things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. We're searching for peace. We're searching for for peace. We're searching for peace. He is the peace in the midst of the storm. He is the peace that surpasses understanding. Oh, by the way, he is the prince of peace. If you don't think we're not searching for peace, you're serving the wrong God because he sent the prince of peace. And it's him that we need to seek. It's him that we need to mimic. It's him that we need to apply. It's him that we live and we breathe and have our being in. Now you say, well, good. That's just Paul's impression to Colossians, the church that he loves, and he's trying to commend them. Well, let's just flip over just a few pages into 1 Peter. 1 Peter is an interesting thing. In chapter 2, he says this. I need to mark that. I'd fail to do that. 
Christ. Now, let's go to First, First Peter chapter 2. Therefore, this is Peter talking, okay? He's writing to the church at large. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that you may grow up in your salvation. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now let's go on. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be holy, a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices, accepting to God through Christ Jesus. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone, and the stone that causes men to stumble, a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey. Everybody say disobey. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness, call you out of darkness, say that with me, called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Jesus is the light of the world. If we believe in Jesus and we call ourselves Christians following Jesus, he is the redeemer of our soul. In other words, regenerated us into new life. And he becomes Lord of our life. That means counselor, director, the one who instructs and tells us, directs our lives. Then light is what invades and surrounds and possesses us. Light. Light, there is no malice, and there's no envy, and there's no jealousness, there's no envy, these things like that. But when these things come, it's easy for us to identify that they're not of God. Whatever's true, noble, just, and right, these things meditate on, these things are of God. So Paul and Peter gives us contrasting elements, characteristics that will help us identify what is light and what is darkness. And when you see people that are bringing things out of darkness into light, but they're wanting to call this enlightenment, understand this is a ploy to trap us into this dark side which comes and capsides the light and tries to snuff it out. But thanks be to God, he has the power and the light is so strong that even as the darkness seems to capsize us and encapsulate us and demean us and put us into bondage, the power of the light of God that we celebrated on Resurrection Sunday burst forth. And to glorious, glorious, glorious light. Because the light is never more glorious 
than when it penetrates and defeats the darkness. Amen? Amen. So the question is this morning, how are we being deceived in our thought process, in our minds, in our attitudes, in how we live our lives? Are we being sucked in to what the world calls enlightenment? Or are we choosing to walk in the light of forgiveness and grace, of mercy and of love? Listen, when somebody, and hear, here's, hear what I'm saying. When somebody that has served a community for 26 years flawlessly, they're encountered with an activity that clearly the suspect is resisting and disobeying. An accident happens, and then we want to condemn the peace officer instead of the criminal activity. There's a problem. It's not enlightenment. It's a, suck, a, a thing that's sucking us into this vortex of darkness, of criticism, of condemnation. Let me tell you, I think there's more good to her life than the mistake that she made. Are you listening to me? I'm not here to try to get her off or do anything like that. I'm using this as an example. We sometimes are quick to blame when we ourselves are blamed. But thank God he's forgiven us. And thank God we can offer forgiveness to someone else too. You know, in the last day, Scripture says that we will call good evil and evil good. And again, that's the deception of darkness that's trying to invade and cover up the light. There's more good in our lives than bad because of Christ is the light of the world. He has forgiven us. Let us walk in that forgiveness. Understand that because we have been forgiven, we must forgive others as well. But it doesn't mean that we shouldn't hold them accountable. She should be held accountable for that mistake. But not condemned forever. For she did a lot more good than not. These are tough things that we need to talk about. But we need to talk about them in the light of Scripture, in the light of grace, in the light of God. When we limit ourselves to these walls and what's just happening in this small body of Christ and not understand the outside influences that we're fighting and we're dealing with in the world, we become vulnerable to attack and pray ourselves. Our job is not to isolate. Our job is to invade the world for kingdom purposes. Jesus said you will know them by their kindred spirit. You will know them by their love. How are we loving others? How are we encouraging others? And it goes back to, you can't encourage someone else if you haven't encouraged yourself. We can't walk in condemnation and not pass that condemnation on to someone else. When we're bitter, we pass on bitterness. 
Where we're anxious, we pass on anxiety. When we're hating, we pass on hatred. When we're judgmental, we pass on judgmentalism. But when we love, we pass on love. When we're forgiving, we pass on grace and forgiveness. When we're joyful, we pass on joy. And when we're hopeful, we pass on hope. When we promote peace, we represent the Prince of Peace, God Himself. Let us be true to that calling each and every day of our lives. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and everyone said, Thanks for joining us. We would love for you to connect with us online. On our website, you'll find up-to-date information about everything happening around here. Look for us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And please, download our free app on your smartphone or tablet. We are so glad you're here today. We hope you feel at home, and we hope you enjoy your friendship experience.